All right. Welcome back, everyone, to episode five of the old, Young Old Heads podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards. I'm here with my other co host, Max, aka Cards Maximus. Uh, Max, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. It's a bright day out in North Carolina. It's a lovely Sunday morning. It's 11 to 11:20 a.m. during time of recording, and I'm ready to carpe diem. What What is going on with your real life this weekend? If you don't mind uh, me asking, uh, I don't mind you asking. <laughs> um, I am looking. I'm going to be walking in commencement. I'm going to be graduating undergraduate with my chemistry degree. And I'll be having a nice time of celebration before I'm heading nose to the grindstone, working both in real life, in cards, even though cards is enjoyment and not work, and all other facets of life. Well, I think our, our listeners will be shocked to hear that you did not graduate from Card University this weekend. You are graduating with a degree in chemistry, which is, I personally find it. I am very impressed by that because I took a couple chemistry classes in college and I can't imagine doing more so i i'm uh i'm very excited to see some pictures of you in your cap and gown hopefully holding up some cards tomorrow on the timeline maybe uh, you won't you won't be seeing too many all right you won't be seeing too many pictures but yeah you know i mean i have to keep them close to the vest but that being said um i'm actually pursuing my phd at cards university so there's more content of that to come future doctor of cards max well uh we'll uh, we'll have to follow up on that in a future pod but so, uh, yeah, i so. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I am. Uh, I am personally super excited this weekend. My Golden State Warriors have made it to the conference finals, uh, which, you know, going into the season, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of buzz that the Warriors might not even make the playoffs. That Steph was washed, that Clay was washed, that Draymond was washed, that everyone was washed, and that we were never going to win again. And you know, we were we were going to fight for the eighth seed. So the fact that we made it to the conference finals um, powered through some struggles in the last couple games, but. Um, you know, I like the Grizz team, so I wasn't like taking the, those games easy without Jaw. I think those, the team is just as scary without Jaw, which is honestly kind of a red flag for Jaw. But uh, I'm I'm excited. I'm happy about it. I know you're heavily uh, invested in Desmond Bain. Can you tell me a little, like where is that at? Did his prices go up? He played well. I can tell you the Warriors were washed, so they went to the laundromat, and now they're all cleaned up. The Grizzlies, <laughs> I we can argue the intentionality and the inconsistency of the key flagrant foul foul on Xavier Brooks and then Jordan Poole's uh, ankle grab during well, the end. Shockingly, no one listens to our podcast to listen to us analyze the games themselves. So, you know, we'll, we'll yes, discuss of that off, off the time, but I know what, what's but up with yes, his no, bright I, cards, I will, cards, 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 cards. Tra- transitioning, transitioning the cards, Mr. Mr. Producer cutting me off. Um, with the absence of John Morant from the Jordan Poole ankle grab, we did see a little bit more of Desmond Bain. I know he was, cons- I don't know how many of the games he scored 20 plus, but definitely a key focal point of that offense. I enjoy holding him. I want to still, both as someone who I see as undervalued and also as a fun player to watch. And the window has closed of him having a loud first round. The Grizzlies now having the exit. So I was still enjoying finding value and enjoyment where the financial dollars make sense. And I think he showed more than enough in the playoff round this year to, to, for you to be confident in holding him another year and seeing where his prices go. I know that, you know, uh, his boy Dylan Brooks is maybe trying to grab a lot more of the spotlight, but uh, I think anyone who watches yes. basketball knows that Dylan Brooks is not someone you should and be spending you money on. Your favorite team playoff darling, Jordan Poole. Yes. And, you know, this is something that 
I wanted to talk about this week, which is something that I've been doing, which is selling off some of my Jordan Poole cards, which is not necessarily me thinking, you know, I'm out on Jordan Poole. I think anyone that follows me on Twitter knows that I've been very in on Jordan Poole for well over a year and a half now, and I've been buying his cards for almost two years. Um, I just decided recently, you know, the the markets were kind of going crazy this week, and it scared me a little bit. And I was like, you know what, I think I should cash in a little bit on my... Uh, on my card buying, because um, you know, as as I talk about, I I think of most of my card buying as expenses. I don't think about it as like, oh, I'm gonna get return on this in like six months or something, or a return in a month. Um, if a card goes up in value, I I reassess and I'm like, oh, should I should I sell this? Like, uh, I don't know. It kind of went up in value. I'm not just totally certain, but it's not like I'm going into the purchase knowing I'm gonna flip it or gonna be pissed if it doesn't go up in value. You know, if it goes down in ten ten dollars in value, ten percent, twenty percent, like. I'm fine. I'm going to hold it, you know, longer. If it goes up, I'm like, ah, I might like I sold a Jordan Poole contenders auto in a Michigan Jersey. So I was like, you know, I, I have my silver prism Jordan Poole that I'm going to hold forever. But I also sent you a pink ice prism to possibly consider sending to PSA, which we figured had some, had some back issues. Can you tell us about um, what was up with that were, card? There were print lines on the back that you could see under light. There are a few edge frills and I was a little bit unconfident on one of the corners. Um, something that you bring up is that you are a true collector, or at very least, maybe a little bit more of a true collector than myself. So those are some that's some high esteem praise that I'm sharing with you. But there's a degree of quantifying the sentimental sentimental value that you have with each card, and to the extent that if you're look, you like Jordan Poole. Let's say using the example of the Jordan Poole pink eyes. If the card is worth fifty dollars raw now at the height of a playoff run or playoff you know championship run you can sell it buy it back maybe a few months from now maybe even after the championship for let's say 20 or 30 and your sentimental value sure is tied to pool and you may want to own a pink ice card no matter what but it isn't specific to that very specific you know the exact card that you own something that i recognized during my collecting journey um during the beginning of covid um with the market booming, I had sent out a few of my pack pulled um, 2014 Topps Chrome Update cards. Specifically, I had a Mookie Betts Chrome Update, and that ended up being a PSA 10 after I sent it the grading back in 2019. And the money was big for me because at the time, $300, I had never held a $300 card in my entire life. I can poke fun of myself later for that card peaking at 2000 and me not holding it. But Aside from that, even though I've moved on from that card, I don't need a Mookie Betts PSA 10 in my collection. The absence of that specific card can't be replaced for me by buying another PSA 10 Chrome Mookie Betts. And it's important when evaluating your own collection on am I tied to wanting a Giannis Antetokounmpo Kaboom or do I want the one that I pack pulled and is never leaving my collection? Yeah, I, I, I'd love that. Thanks for sharing that reflection, because I, I think that that's something that I've been thinking about a lot, which is like, what values, what not in not actual monetary value, what intrinsic, like what personal value do I do I put on my collection and certain cards? And what the conclusions I've come to, at least, you know, it's a it's, it's an always moving, like, it's a dynamic, you know, my thoughts about collecting are dynamic, they, they change week to week, I, I, don't make decisions unless like I have the same thoughts for a yeah. long time and then make decisions. But something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is like, I need to have one other th reason to hold a card besides the fact that I just have the card. 
So like with Jordan Poole, I'm a huge fan of Jordan Poole. I love that like I bought in on him early and it's fun to watch his prices rise and him kind of his star rise as I've been kind of promoting him and stuff. But at the end of the day, like I bought these cards on eBay and like I don't really have any like I, I'm going to hold the silver prism as like a reminder of like, oh, I love Jordan Poole. I bought this for super cheap. Um, and like that's like a card that I really love. But like all the other ones where I bought them for like, you know, a few bucks and now they're worth like 30, 40. I'm like, the only value I have to those is just that I bought them. And it's not like someone gave them to me. I didn't trade them with someone. I didn't pull any of them. So I'm like, all right, this is like purely just a transactional thing right now. I can sell these. I can sell them. I don't mind. Um, yeah. But let, let's say a card was like given to me by someone, like even if it's like a like recently here, here's a card that's pretty sick. That's like an example of a card I'll never sell because like, I now decided it's like the main focus of one of the main focuses in my collection, which is this Buster Posey. That's a great card. The cable car uh, Posey that I got from my man, Andrew. Um, it's like a card where like, all right, it's extremely rare, which is another thing that I think about the rarity. So like how easy will it be for me to get a card back? I think that's something I kind of forgot to mention. That's like really important to me. It's like, all right, I'm going to sell these base Jordan Poole cards, these like common parallels right now, because I know that I'm going to find one again. I know I'm going to find another one. I don't know if I'm going to find another out of 999 Steph Curry rookie card like I sent you to send his PSA. You know, even though that was a transactional thing, it's like numbered Steph Curry rookie cards. I'm hanging on to those. <laughs> Absolutely. And sometimes the thing that can be used to evaluate whether there's more than one, the, you know, the monetary value. Um, part of, you know, ABS always be selling is that, you know, at least with my, so my Glaber Torres personal collection, it's stuff that, you know, even if it's $20, $30, it's stuff that I've submitted myself. I have gone through the arduous process of sending that to PSA and not getting it back for nine months. And I have seen the charge change and have its encapsulation from a raw paper card to a plastic commodity. And for me, that's something that's meaningful. I think also something that's relevant is being able to like and enjoy a card despite its flaws. Like I know you have, I want to make sure I get this right. It's the top gold Steph Curry that's creased, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can, I've conflated that with the Bowman Steph Curry before. Yeah, yeah. But even just, you know, the enjoyment that you put into the card, that's an incredible, I hate this word, but iconic Steph Curry card. And the monetary value that you put into it and the monetary value that you got out of it, that you would be able to get out of it if you sold, the ability of owning that card in of itself carries a lot of significance and personal value. Yeah, for sure. And it's also like, where I got cards on my collecting journey has been something I've also been thinking about, like cards I got when I first got back into it that now I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I would be buying that card now. I'm like, Oh, I probably shouldn't get rid of them. These are kind of important. And like, Oh, I bought this and like, this was a big buy for me then. And if I bought it now, it might not be as big of a buy because now I'm more, I'm more about the cash flow a little bit more than I used to, but like yeah. um, you know. something, a postulate that I've been thinking of is that let's just say you have, you know, $250 to spend, you know, either an eBay or a show or whatever. More times than not, it is better from an enjoyment, not necessarily a monetary flipping standpoint. Sometimes that as well, but not necessarily. It is better to go after the card that is either on the context of online auctioned rather than available by it now or one that you're less likely to see again. Yeah. And that's something that as I've gone to more card shows is like something I trust myself more and more on it, which is like, if I haven't seen this card before, this card is probably really rare. And I should trust myself and be like, yo, I'm going to I'm going to spend maybe a little bit more than I thought I think this card might be worth right this second. 
to secure it and have it the rarity of, because of the rarity. Um, I also have been thinking a lot about card shows as something that like adds value, adds it, some non-monetary value to cards. Like I loved talking to dealers, getting their stories, seeing their whole thing, maybe getting a little deal with a couple cards from them, or you're just like telling them about the collection, why I'm buying the card. That's just interaction that you don't get on eBay. That um, is another reason why cards that I buy at card shows, I actually find myself enjoying more and having a harder time getting uh, selling off if I if I think about it. Oh, cards max with his notifications. Oh my, with my notifications. I'm just so popular card shows. Um, there's a dynamic that you can get with a dealer. Sometimes it's genuine. Sometimes it's just you're doing it to try to strike a deal or you're doing it to... Yeah, you're doing it to strike a deal or you're doing yeah. it solely for the sake of like not necessarily sweet talking because that implies that the conversation's fake, but you're doing it just as a warp of networking. And it's sometimes tough to dis, you know to decipher when it's genuine, even for both parties. Like sometimes I know when someone's being very genuine to me. Like I I talk, I'm very immersed in prop tops project 2020 and project 70. I don't like tops project 100. Uh, but I'm in the majority opinion. With no them. one even knows what that is yet, right? Like they, they Tops has officially announced that they're doing another project iteration, and I can talk about it all day. But sometimes I've just had the same conversation so many times. While it's cool to show off the very unique pieces that I don't currently have anymore that I've moved on from, and that's you know being able to move on from personal unique pieces is something that's very important with collecting. But there's only so much that you can get out of having. A conversation that's unique to someone else from your perspective but maybe isn't unique when you're engaging in it and of course that goes both sides yeah and i think i think that a lot of the dealers that i've talked to are a little bit are pretty skeptical sometimes but are really quick to like to recognize someone that is being genuine to them um i i feel like i haven't had too many times where i'm like hey man like that card that you're selling i know like you probably like, and I thought I know they've had the card for a long time. I'm like, I'm probably the end. I'm the end collector with this card, probably like explaining it to them. Um, I'm not asking for like deals necessarily. I'm just I I want them to know where I'm coming from on a purchase so that they don't think that I'm just purely trying to flip a card. Yeah. Um, and that's different than like being like, yo, I'm a collector. Give me this card for free. That's not where I'm yeah. at. You know, that's not something, what I try to do. Something that I try to recognize when I'm selling cards is when. Are you kidding me? Is where the location, where a collector is located, like geographically based, more one online. Obviously, you, you know, don't ask, don't, you don't have to go anywhere to ask for private information. But I know that if I'm selling a Bobachette or Vlad card and it's going for Canada, it's going, being shipped to Canada or it's from a Canadian collector, I know I'm not going to drive a harder price. I'm not going to try to drive a harder price on it. Because I know that not necessarily out of the, you know, the empathy of giving it to the end collector, but just knowing that that demographic, someone who is a hometown collector of a team, is probably the highest of value is someone going to pay for it. Like, you know, that person, not necessarily that it's bad that someone is paying and flipping something for buying at 70% comps and flipping it to a 90, but you know that you're maximizing the value by getting it to that last consumer, which is a big philosophy I have with e eBaying, even less than two dollar cards but yeah. for bigger cards as well something to keep in mind i love that i love that thought process i also think that i when i'm selling cards i think about that and i honestly haven't even consciously thought of it yet until you said this right now which is like yeah like if i was selling like an albert pool's rookie the other day on the timeline a few weeks ago 
And this guy, Keith, that's a homie on the timeline, came, like, DM me. is like, hey, Tommy, like, I really need, I really love this card. Like, I'm, this would be the biggest card purchase I've ever made. And I, like, I, I followed him for a while. So I know he's a huge Cardinals fan. And, like, Pools is back on the team. I know the guys are really excited about that. And I was like, you know what, Keith? Like, I'll give it to you for $10 less. And I'll throw in some cool stuff. Because, like, I know this is your card. You're going you're gonna to have this card forever. And honestly, that adds value to me selling it. I feel way more comfortable selling it knowing, hey, I know this guy's just going to hang on to this forever. And it's like, if I ever want to be like, yo, dude, like, if he ever has a card that he finds that's like a really perfect fit for my PC, I know he'll probably reach out and be like, yo, hey, Tommy, I found this card for you. And the biggest, or I know we've touched on this before, but one of the biggest mentalities I like to keep from maximizing the enjoyment and minimizing the cost is buying damaged cards it's okay to upgrade your damaged cards but recognizing that maximizing like if you want let's say a full flagship run of a player like let's just say you want you know because this is something that i've been targeting a little bit but it's a very expensive endeavor is let's say trying to get every mike trout base set card okay there is some variety you can do that you can get them in all base you get them in flagship gold you, when applicable, you can get them in gold refractors or blacks. But there's an element to, okay, start small, get the base set, okay? Then you can decide, okay, do I want to diversify in parallels or do I want to diversify in condition? Because a $30 base paper PSA 10 Mike Trout, you're not going to be able to get as far as a 5 to $10 base card or even a $1 base card. So when you're getting evaluating the purpose of your collection, as get, establish the foundation and then recognize that there are some aspects that you can continually upgrade either in parallel or in grade. And condition is something that is very unappreciated outside of getting a nine or a 10. Yeah. And I, I have a kind of something that I reflected another different collection that I've been reflecting on that I think aligns perfectly with what you're saying, which is when I first got back into collecting, I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I, when I was going through my binders, I was like, Oh, I have a lot of cards with gold cups on them. I'm going to like put these all in one binder and maybe like add in some cards as like, Oh, I'll, I'll trade for gold cups. If you, uh, if I'm trading away some stuff I don't care about. Um, that project kind of became a life of its own and kind of has grown a lot significantly since I started. And another project that I started when I got back into collecting was like, I was like, Oh, I want to get every flagship rookie paper of like any big guy. And, you know, I, I was kind of doing both those projects simultaneously for a while. And then recently I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I really need to be doing this flagship rookie card collection. Like I really enjoy, I enjoy talking about rookie cards and like who the rookie, whose rookie card is what, but for guys that I, what I realized is guys that overlap with gold cups. So guys that are like Ichiro and Pujols and um, Justin Verlander or even like Buster Posey, it's like, all right they have both flagship rookies and gold cups. I would rather have rare gold cup parallels than I would their flagship base rookies. So I was like, Mm -hmm. you know what? I'm going to change my perspective on this. I'm going to sell off some of these flagship rookies. I'm going to put that money into buying parallel gold cups. So um, that's where I'm at on that collection right now. It's just like something that where I'm like, I initially started this kind of a soft project that has kind of grown and is like, I came to the reflection that I actually want to make this more of a priority and it's totally fine to do that. And, you know, it's like something that you don't just because you're in on a project doesn't mean you have to finish it and you can bail whenever. Yeah. And part of something that I'm trying to look at when with all of this genesis of new sets within the, let's say, the fast five years or so, or even something, you know, of, I am a big, you know, I very much like 
the aesthetics of mosaic. And I want to take advantage of the fact that it came, it spawned out of COVID that we just finished the second year of NFL and NBA mosaic. So if you want a full Genesis run of a player, it doesn't matter if it's LeBron and his, you know, double digit seasons. It doesn't matter if it's, I know it's a very easy example, but you know, Desmond Bain, who is a rookie card and now, but will have a hopefully long clear or for you with clay. It, the entry point of getting in for these is very doable for something that has two years of existing or for MLB Sapphire has six or seven, you know, it's like, it's a very difficult and ambitious task to get every single tops rookie cup from yeah. whenever they started oh, that yeah. several decades. Back. 1960, 1960. It's a very doable achievement and task to get every Sapphire rookie cup. Yeah. Oh, dude, this is great. I love this. I've never even thought about this, but like, yeah, I, so I I've always thought of part yeah. of the fun, last bit. Part of the fun <laughs> is identifying new pursuits to where you can start a collection or start a project. I think that's half the fun. No, no, we're sticking on this because this is sick. Because I have always thought, until you just said that, I've always thought that the modern influx of products, like all these products that Tops makes, all these products that Panini makes for basketball and football, I've always thought that that's always a bad thing. I'm like, there is way too many products. But what you, a great point you just made is like, there's just more things to collect now. You can focus your collection in on something very specific and probably get some really sick cards of that specific thing that you're collecting. Uh, Seth uh, is just randomly in my mind right now is Flux because I was really skeptical of Flux and I am still skeptical of Flux. I but uh, if you wanted to, you could get some pretty sick Flux cards and, you know, start like a pretty cool Flux PC and I would respect that because... Yeah. And I believe this is the first year that it's a standalone product. It was previously in, Je- in uh, Chronicles. Yeah. And yeah, I think it might have even been a product before in like Pacific or something. But um, I know... But like that's that's a great point, Max, and I, I haven't thought about that. Um, and both, it, uh, oh sorry, both from nah. a store of value and a difficulty to find card standpoint, you want to start as soon as you because think about it, like you're only adding a card a year. It isn't a big financial commitment, you know, as long as you just are you know getting that card a year and you have the focus of wanting to do this as a multi-year pro- as a small multi-year project. Um, Carmelo Anthony was a nick starting you know after he was traded in 2010 i don't know when he first got his panini cards but he is a nick for seven seasons and i find it very difficult to collect him in 2022 if i just want his Knicks cards because no one is actively posting 2012 2013 2014 heck 2017 carmelo anthony cards you You want yeah yeah, you want to start as some of these cards are newly posted, both for your own sanity. It's a lot easier to just say, oh, I want every card of this player in this jersey after they've are once that list is finite. Yeah, for sure. And I think well I'm I'm first I'm I'm experiencing that right now with Buster Posey. Um yeah, no, but with Buster Posey, it's like I I now can be like, all right, I'm gonna go after a series a complete thing. Like I'm gonna go after his heritage image variations or something. And that's like a project that is more doable, but also not because guys are going to hold them now. Uh, someone here in Chicago, like I live in Chicago now, and someone that like a lot of guys that I talk to is a perfect example of what you just talked about with Carmelo is Derek Rose. Derek Rose perfect, is not necessarily going to be a guy that's like considered an all-time great, but people that live in Chicago and watched him grow and won- win the MVP and like those teams, he is an absolute legend to them. 
And people that own his rookie cards, even though they probably aren't as valuable as they were when they were bought by that, are not selling those. They those are not being sold by anyone. So like if you want a Derrick Rose like X Factor Tops Chrome rookie card, you're gonna have to pay a premium probably more than you would think if you weren't like a diehard Bulls fan because his cards have more value than maybe some people would think, I think is kind of moral. No, that's a good take. Something that you know, that kind of inspired me, I just did a little search on is, you know, Dwayne Wade grew big, you know, Midwest Chicago guy. Obviously he only has one season of Chicago Bulls cards. And obviously, you know, it's not as, you know, extravagant as Derek Rose and the the impact that he's had for the city as a professional basketball, as a pro, you know, in his professional career, probably not as strong as Derek Rose in terms of his status, but he's still a very significant Chicago figure and he only has one year of cards. So this is the balance of sure. Are those cards going to go up? Maybe, you know, who knows, but if they're not necessarily going to go down and that's where I, that's the sweet spot for collecting. Like for me and Trout, I love I love baseball. I love Trout. I allegedly watch baseball. And Trout is a confident store of value that I can keep that I all can also enjoy. Yeah. I think I think what I'm what I'm taking away from what you just said is like just because cards like cards with really high demand doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that that means that those cards are going up in value constantly. It just means like Liquid cards are not always going up in value. They're just liquid, you know? Exactly. And I think that's a good point. But yeah. at the same time, cards that are not readily liquid but have a foundation for a growing demand will usually appreciate. Yeah. That's spot on for sure. But I, all right. First of all, I, I want to talk about D Wade because we didn't really talk about this, but I love D Wade as, like a, as a hobby figure and as, as a very interesting one. So first of all, 2016 optic D Wade that with the Bulls is one as an iconic card in my opinion. It's him posting up LeBron. So if you haven't seen that card before, go check that one out. I think it's a card that, especially because of the LeBron Wade connection, is going to be a card that people you might want to have that card if you're a fan of either of those guys. Um, but D Wade is a guy you would think is, I mean, he Finals MVP. All right, if, if D Wade came up now, he would be the craziest hobby prices. He won a ring his second his second year, third year with Shaq. His prices after that would have been unbelievable. And honestly, his career was amazing. He had a great career, maybe not as long as some people thought, but like he was he's a heat, he's the greatest player in heat history for sure. And his hobby prices are not quite as high as you maybe would think. And that makes me concerned about buying cards of guys like Jaw and stuff because I'm like check out D Wade's like if this dude has a career like D Wade his card prices are not even going to go that much up, you know? I want to dive into a point about um, the LeBron-Dwayne Wade connection and that it's very – we are in a very interesting, you know, in this card market. I hate you, you know, in this card market, you know, because it's really just a base of collecting. We lo- What goes up in value is stuff that's cool. And companies, tops, Panini Fanatics, et cetera, will try to manipulate to make products that are intentionally attractive for us to consume as consumers. Um, one of the most um, valuable and scarce baseball cards for 2018 is there is a tops on the man set with four players, four rookies on each card. One of them has Juan Soto, Ronaldo Cunha, and then less importantly, Alex Rudego. And then even below that is Dustin Fowler. And it's four of their 
headshots all in the same card. And it's a huge card for collectors because it has the Soto collectors, as the Acuna collectors, and it's not. It wasn't meant to be a big card. The Kobe and LeBron tops cards aren't meant to be big cards. And there's a balance between. Okay, it's, this contrasts the league leader cards that Topps has. Sure, it's very interesting and cool to find a card where there's three potential Hall of Famers. It's not as cool when there's you know hundreds of thousands of printed. But you can still collect how you want or find a unique way of doing that by going after lower serial number parallels. So finding stuff that's and cool and interesting, there's a way to do it. And you have to find out how to do it without just consuming whatever product Panini and Tops wants to market. Last little thing, the dual – I don't know the name of the set offhand. But the dynamic – yeah, dynamic duels from Tops. Du- dynamic duos. Dynamic Duos, thank you for the correction, released this week on Tops.com, sold out um, sold out in a day. And with that, I mean, some of the, I mean, the Wander Franco Juan Soto card, dual autograph, is great. It looks fantastic. Yeah. And that's a card. Cool. That is a cool card to collect. This is a great topic, actually. It's a, car- a topic of multiplayer cards, which I think is something that is interesting to me because I love multiplayer cards. I love collecting cards where, like, two of my PC guys are on it. Like if Steph and Clay are on a card, I'm buying that card and I will pay a premium because both of them are on it. You actually forgot though, the one card that I really wanted you to bring up, What's which like? is the, the Bo Bichette, Jordan, um, who's the oh third my, guy. That is, that is su- uh, Bo Bichette, Jordan, Lewis Robert. Yeah, that card. That Talk is that such card. a legendary card. It, it I want to say 2020 was the first year that Topps introduced SSSPs in flagship releases, image variation, image variations most of the time. They had some, I mean, not 2020 tops is good in a comic set for many reasons. Um, I very much like the subtle reverse image variations, the nameplates, sub, the subtleties of that. But that's just another type of SSSP. The three cards, excuse me, the three players shared and split on that card all on an all-star projector. I don't want to say they're all all-stars yet. And the estimated print run on that offhand, I want to say, is 30 to 35 copies because I want to say SPs are usually in the 3,000s, SSPs around 350 in modern recent years. So SSSP is a tenth of that. And there's not many of them. If all three of them have great careers, it's going to be phenomenal. If one of them sucks, that's really going to damper the value and potential of that card. But it is such a unique and it's a card that you see, and you're like, wow, that is a rare card. I'm actually going to disagree with you on this. I think that even if two of them are good, it's going to hold value. Um, I think throughout vintage cards, there's a lot of history of guys having these like multiplayer rookie cards and then their first solo card. Like Cal Ripken's a good example. Um, I think Joe Morgan might be another one. Um, and I think it's the same sort of concept. I'm going to be interested to see if, let's say, Jordan and Bo are all perennial all-stars and Luis Robert has some injuries and ends up not you know, reaching his full potential. I still think that card will go for just as much as like the SSSP Bo Bichette solo card because they have both of them. And also, I don't, I, I don't think he has an SSSP. Oh, I think he's only two S's. Well, no, they, they, the, I think another example of the... Shoot, I don't know if the Polar Bear Rookie Cup is SSP or SSSP? Yeah, that's a sick card. But uh, that is a I sick think card. The, 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 the comparison I'm going to make with that card is the uh, 2003 Tops Matrix set that we talked about with Mason a little bit. Oh, where, that's like, so awesome. 
that set is amazing. It has like the LeBron, every combination of rookies basically from the 03 NBA draft class. So you have the iconic one is the LeBron D Wade Chris Bosch rookie card. I have that one in PSA four. Shout out condition. Um, but, <laughs> shout out condition. Yeah, shout out condition. But like situations like that where it's like if even if it's LeBron D Wade Darko, it's like Darko kind of has like a funny value in the hobby as like the biggest bust in that group so it's like even that card is still valued somewhat because of the lebron wade connection and I, with I, like kind of the funny reminder about darko yes and that spurs people to pe- personally collect and enjoy darko for that reason but i think i want to say darko is the exception and not the rule i think it's very good on tops that they aren't milking this variation at every possible expense we didn't see this last year with the k brian hayes and jazz chisholm and other you know dylan carlson let's just say because i mean all of those are possible all-stars but they're, none of those names are going to truly be a superstar or the face of baseball but if we, if we see this this year with bobby witt and julio rodriguez and wanda franco that's cool that gets the cards max stamp of coolness approval as one of the coolest guys in this room yeah and i yeah i like tops well that's what I, that was the question i asked you like off off air one time i was like would you want tops to do that every year? And you're like, no, nah, I don't, I wouldn't want them to do it every year. I, I think you got to, have you kept that for when guys are certainly like, especially hyped up, hyped up guys. Like I think this year would be a good year to do it. Like if you did a series two one with Torkelson, Bobby Witt and those guys, like that card would go crazy. And it's not necessarily something that would always happen, but um, yeah, I'm excited to see the future of that, that multi rookie card SSSP because it, the card market in general in the history in the past has kind of rejected those multiplayer yeah. rookie cards. As a non-financial advice moment, uh, but something that is important from a maximizing collecting enjoyment value, do not sleep on tops on-demand sets or throwback Thursdays. I mean, with COVID, we did see booms of those just because of those were a little bit short-printed rookie cards of Bichette, Alvarez, and Luis Robert sometimes. But now that we're having... Look, if a Water Franklin card is printed it's pretty much going to be bought by everyone no matter what. But look for these cooler sets. Look for these retro designs. I know, I don't want to say right now because I know they're in the third week of this iteration. I don't know if the clock expired, but the 2001 Tops cards that they have on their website, they've had them for Bobby Witt. They've had them for Steve Kwam and Seiya Suzuki. And I know, I believe right now the current set is Julio Rodriguez and Spencer Torkelson. That, those are just cool cards. 2001 is iconic because 2001 Bowman is iconic because of Ichiro and Pujols. And seeing cards like that, it just shouts, this is a cool card. And you can get that for like $5 each. Yeah. And I think it, it's such a fine line, dude. When, when like tops remake sets, if they're cool, like if it's accepted by the collector community or if it's thought of as like a cash grab, I feel like, I feel like that, that line is so fine for them to walk. It's like, it has to have not been reprinted recently enough where like people like, I think tops has the luxury of having a lot of like these modern sets. They're able to like remake them now for the first time. Like when they did the 70 years of tops last year and they like remade 2011 tops or like guys had inserts with like 2014, 15 tops. It was like, I had never seen that before and I thought it was cool. Um, yeah. One of the things that I was considering doing as a project last year was trying to find the parallels of Soto and, uh, Otani for that 70 years. I believe they had like a tribute insert in uh, series one. I I don't want to guess offhand, but I want to say both were had, you know, their retro card was in the 
2000s and 20 i want to say otani was 2000 it was a 2011 remake and i just think parallels of that redoing iconic cards is just such a cool factor that makes me as a collector or not even just gatekeeping collectors but just like that is a cool card throw that in my binder yeah and something that i've thought about it is exactly this is pretty similar to what you're talking about which is like i think that when it's a 35th anniversary insert in baseball and flagship if it's a guy's rookie card year so like it was 86 like bo jackson's 86 insert is sick that's dope that's his rookie card design with a different image and like that on a binder page with the bo jackson rookie card the actual top traded rookie with the like 35th anniversary 86 design card i think that makes a ver- that is like an awesome addition to a binder page in my opinion is like i love like i want tops in five years to make buster posey cards with the design of 2010 but with a different image so that i can be like put those on binder pages with the same things i'd rather them do that and focus more heavily on reprinting on like guys that were rookies in those 35th anniversary years than they do now with this kind of like here's all the dudes that are in all the sets so here they're they all are with this design i think it's very important to make inserts cool again when i was collecting in 2014 i the, granted, this was when Max has no debit card, no bank. He is solely relying on his parents' money. And I got satisfaction from hitting a 1 out of 12 pack odds in a fat pack and I'm from 2014 tops. There are just, and the inserts, I don't want to just say they're cool, but they made me – they weren't like, oh, this is a paper card of 1952 tops, and there's 10 of these per pack, and they're ugly. If you can make a cool, attractive insert, it doesn't have to be a case set like a Kaboom or a Color Blast. If he just makes it something that's worth looking in the binder and enjoying, companies need to be emphasizing this, and hopefully this gets fixed with more modern product. I think a couple examples of... All right, first of all, could not agree with you more about these inserts. I think inserts are absolutely something that I want there to be more focus on, and I think that these case hits is not even really where I'd want to go with it. Inserts and- are not filler cards. No. They are not filler cards. Inserts are cool. I like the Flashiest Feats inserts from this year on the Series 1. I thought that was a cool, um, interesting, unique thing that Tops did. That and is a minority take just because of how many people have just said, oh, they're copycatting the Neuer. I can't pronounce that. Cards no- from Noir. Noir. Well, first of all, part of, my, part of my lack of French. Who? With that, pardon my French, but who gives a fuck what the front no, Noir is doing? Like, Noir is not a set that because is they're accessible cooler. to people. Yeah, they're Panini, cooler, but like... he executes it better. That's like saying, that's like saying, oh, like, this relic I got in, like, flagship is shit because it's nothing compared to this, like, National Treasures logo relic, you know? It's like a different, it's a different, man. It's just different things. Like, I want a cheap, accessible flashiest feet insert for people to but have when their Tops copies panini it doesn't work like we've seen the slam basketball inserts and hoops and they are cool but when tops does on command on demand sports illustrator releases they're not cool tops because has to be coo- slam tops is has to cool. be cooler yeah they're trying dude i i don't like okay, the home field okay. advantage they're, cards. They're, putting, they're putting the effort they're putting the effort in i'll give them that well all right Sometimes. that's that, that might be giving them a little bit too much credit. Sometimes. <laughs> they're copycatting. They're doing the copycats okay, but like raise the bar a little bit more. And all right, you you made fun of me about this rip yesterday because whatever. I ripped a 2022 Donruss baseball blaster yesterday, and you know whatever unlicensed. Most people, it's not jam, not their jam. But 
the inserts are freaking cool, dude. They're cool cards. Like the Marvel's inserts that, <laughs> I mean, they might have a few too many of them, but like these are all cards where I'm like, oh, I want these in my binder for the guys that I like. Like I want these in my binder and I don't care if they're not licensed because I like the novelty of insert cards and the, like, I think insert cards are cool to people that are not into cards, which is something that I kind of like to think about a lot. I know Panini cards are sometimes, Panini baseball cards are sometimes referred to as pajama cards because there's no logos or anything like that. But I am really liking the Marvel's inserts that they've done in Donruss for baseball. Um, I especially like that there's not too, too many of them and most of the cooler parallels are serial numbered. So that's something I have my eyes on. Whammy inserts, also cool. This... If I had, I mean, granted, I'm going to have more free time now, but if I had more time during the product's initial release, I would totally just like would want to rip a few boxes of Donruss and you could be able to eBay style piece out the bulk just because the cards don't suck and they're cool enough to where there's genuine demand to where people want to buy the the toilet paper parallels and the weird wacky inserts because they're cool and unique. You can't do that also due to print run with top standard releases. Yeah, wow. We've really been all over the place today, dude. We've talked about a lot of different things. Oh, and that's how that's how we do it at the Young Old Heads podcast. Tommy has an epiphany. I want to jump off that, and we jump off each other. Yeah, I actually, uh, a little behind the scenes, uh, before this episode started, I was like, Max, I, I don't really know if I have anything to talk about this week. I, I, don't, I don't know what we're, what we're going to go with this. And uh, now we're 43 minutes into it, and I think this is just how it always goes. So I... I'm so happy that we get to talk about cards every week, Max, especially because like these thoughts about like inserts and stuff, like I never would have thought about this stuff this week if I didn't talk to you about them, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and we're using a lot of our, not to give ourselves too many pats on the backs. I mean, although we're both pretty much geniuses, but I mean, building off each other, I guess is key and paramount to successful dialogue. Stay humble. But uh, yeah, no, I think, I think the lesson there is just like, in the hobby, I mean, we talked about this a lot, but let's just like ask people questions. Like, don't be afraid to reach out to people. Like, I there's like multiple people on online where I like, I will go out of my way, even if I haven't talked to them for a few months. Like, if I have a question about something, I don't feel like awkward going out and being like, "Hey, dude, like, I'm trying to buy this card. What's up?" I actually, I, this is kind of a funny story. I had a guy this week reach out to me on uh, Twitter who was from Northern England, and he was like, "Hey, dude." Saw you collect cards. I'm like live in England and I'm trying to like get into baseball cards. What should I buy? And he sent me like like a screenshot of like a top series one mega and was like, should I buy this? And I was like, what's up, dude? Like, nice to meet you. I, you know, like this is what that set is. Like if you're just trying to spend that money, like, I don't know, like you're, it's still a gamble. You're buying wax. And like we ended up talking. He was like, oh, I've only been to America once. Like I wish I bought more baseball cards when I was here. Um. And I think that that was just like a good reminder, like, oh, and he, the dude was like exactly my age, has like done a lot of things. His name is Joe, cool guy. And I was like, dang, like there's dudes all over the place collecting cards. Like when I have these like moments where I feel like alone or whatever, and like, I feel like just like on social media in general collecting, it can be isolating. But like knowing that there are people out there who are doing the same thing as you and thinking the same way. And like, if I ever was in England, I could hit this guy up and like get a beer with him or something. It's like, that's the shit that like, I, I that that gets me going. That gets me excited about the hobby, and is why I feel so optimistic about the future. Yeah, and there's so many people that are experts of their specific niche and specialty with how they collect. Like I know you and uh, at old man twenty eight guy are wizards with 
you know, mid 2010s and even, you know, 2000s tops giants cards and specifically Posey. And yeah. I know that if I had questions on anything, you two are the sages that I should be asking. And I think that's what brings people together is that everyone is specialized and, you know, is specialized in one or two things. And everyone, a lot of people are always learning. I always try to learn from other collectors why a card is unique, why it's cool, and try to admire that sense of skill and depth that someone has in a certain collectible. Yeah, I I think that's that's what it's all about, right? Like, and I think something also to emphasize for like a new collector is like there are still many many lanes to be filled that are not being filled right now. Like, there's tons of creativity you can come up with and being like, oh, I'm gonna be an no one's an expert in like the chess thing, you know, like what I brought up the other week. Like, I was like, are there chess cards? I've never heard anyone talk about yes. them. I'm gonna look into them, and I'm like, I'm uh, oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, like, now I probably know more about chess cards than like 99.9% of people because I looked yeah, into so it for you know, a day. I will, I will go over and speak this. You know, Alex Bregman has a chess card. No, um, Gary V's tops curated chess, curated set. Um, I then tried looking him up on chess.com, and I think there's an account that says it's Alex Bregman, but has been inactive for several years and is about. 1500 rated but that's one of the few modern chess cards that i could even find and that there's very little history on alex bregman's chess career i find to be very funny it's just a card on different players hobbies that's awesome that's actually hilarious i never even thought about that guys all right and i found that and i found that in my deep dive of chess cards I, I first of all, I'm honored that you did a deep dive into chess cards. Uh, a couple of other guys that need to get some chess cards are Jalen Brown of the Celtics and uh, Clay Thompson, both chess players in their time. Um, I think. Do you have any hobbies outside of cards, Max? Um, as we end on this, uh, aforementioned chess. I do, or go. I do enjoy chess. Um, fun little hobby. I was vice president and co-founder of the Wake Forest Rook and Bishop Club. I don't mean to brag, but I do mean to brag. Um, I enjoy running or I like to run when I have the time to do so. Um, I mean, you put, I play piano, I sing as that was the theme of, uh, last week's podcast. Those are just a few of the things I do. Yeah. And those, uh, what I love about card collecting as a hobby is that all interests can be involved. Like you, you're into chess, you're into running, you're into singing and stuff, and you, you're into music, and you can go out and buy a Nirvana card. That's your favorite band. You can go out and buy, yeah. like, an ultra marathon card of someone, and that all combines. It connects different things that you like. I haven't necessarily card. bought cards of each of those domains, but I have organically and out of my own interest have searched cards that exist of those interests. So that's all I wanted. That's kind of what I wanted to end on this week is just, like, all hobbies can be related to cards if you want them to be. And like cards don't necessarily like have to. I like that as a title. All what? hobbies can be related to cards. <laughs> this has been a weird podcast. I love it, dude. I love talking yes. to you about cards. Um, uh, do you have anything else? Like uh, I have one other card I wanted to bring up that I didn't talk about. Or two other cards that I got in the mail this week. What cards did you get in the mail this week? We this... I, did, I did not buy many. Oh, also, right now I'm on the longest streak of not buying cards on eBay I've had in a while, so try not that. But cards that I got in the mail this week that I bought last week, we got this Taz Finders Lando Calrissian Chow's Gambino. This card is really clean in person. Is that a parallel? No, it's the base, but it's an insert, so it's like it's a pretty rare what insert. What is like the price range of that? Is that a $5 card? Is that a $50 card? Five, $5. <laughs> That's the best part. 
and go buy that card. That card will be worth more than $5. Uh, yes. And then I got Jackass, my first Jackass, a zero cool card. This is Tyler, the creator's rookie card. Um, I didn't even know he was in the checklist until I saw it on Twitter and I bought it immediately. This is a great addition to my music hip hop uh, PC. That's a good note to end on. Yeah, I mean, whatever. What you didn't buy anything? You're like you're um, buying. Can you tell us our experience no, about um, buying lots? My latest, my last buys, um, aside from a few Twitter cards, I, which I forgot what I buy as per usual. Um, last four buys, um, BGS nine five Fernando Tatis X Factor, uh, got a good deal. That's just an ABS. Hopefully, crack and see if the margins make sense. Um, on May 7th, I bought, it, oh, jumping off my points that I made in wanting Trout's Gold Refractors. Soto only has a few years of Gold Refractors. That rookie card is probably going to be out of my price range for a good while. But I picked up his 2020 third-year Gold Refractor, and hopefully it's clean. But even if it isn't, there's only 49 others. And the last two I bought were two days ago were a Tarek Skubal and Christian Javier black-white mini-diamond for my set. I'm only missing about seven cards for the full run of 2021 Tops Chrome black-white mini-diamonds. Once this podcast episode ends, I'm going to accept the best offer for Luis Robert, and the binder is looking glorious. Oh, I cannot wait for to see that binder complete, dude. That's going to be exciting. I I'm gonna, been, I'm gonna I've been patiently flex, waiting. I'm gonna, I don't know how to flex 200... 15 cards at once but i'm going to try my best uh have you ever seen tv sports cards binder videos that he does uh no uh, next weekend I next have. weekend next weekend when we're uh recording i'll be back home in the bay area with all oh, my and cards. i'll be back home on long island wow shit Pronounced all right well long, long island not long island well we will uh we will both be from our childhood bedrooms and that will be fun i'm sure i i will be uh, just for listeners back home i have like significant portion of my collection that i keep at home because it's in binders and it's just difficult to move and i don't have space so going home i always spend a significant amount of time updating my binders reorganizing getting them ready and then i try to like take pictures and videos of the binders so uh, expect a lot of content out of my accounts next week as uh, as i am home but uh max it's always a pleasure dude uh i will have to do some editing of this one due to some technical difficulties throughout but uh we're on spotify now uh, we'll have a new logo from Charles soon. Um, I'm yes. excited. I'm ready to pose and get ready for that new logo. Yeah, do that today, please. Well, I'll talk to you soon, dude. All right, talk to you soon. Bye. Peace.